Beloved, for those of you who may not know me yet, particularly students, welcome back. There's a lunch for you after our worship service. I'm Mike Sherritt, your interim pastor. It's my privilege to be, be with you for about 10 months now. We're starting a new series, as Janae said earlier in the service, called Begging Jesus. And the first vignette is from Matthew chapter 8. Uh, if you want to look along in your Bible, that's fine. Actually, I'm going to ask you not to. I'm going to ask you to fix your eyes up here. There's a reason. You'll see why. So don't look at your Bible. Follow up here the text as I read it. You can look in the outline if you want to in the bulletin. So here's our first vignette on begging Jesus. When he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. I'm going to import a verse from Luke's account of this at this point that Matthew leaves out. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man, Luke has one, Matthew has two, had been healed. Verse 34, And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to... Now the first point in the sermon is to think out loud together about how that sentence might have been finished. For example, the entire city came out to meet Jesus and they begged him to take a thank you gift. You have done us, sir, an enormous favor. We've been terrorized by these maniacs for years. Here's a gift card to the Hyatt down the beach, a weekend all expenses paid for two. Take our thanks, our appreciation. Would that have been a reasonable response? All the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to explain the source of his power. Sir, we have never seen anything like this. No one could help these men. We would love to know the source of your power. Perhaps it could be used to help other destitute people in our city. Take these two men with you and let them share their testimony that many hearts would be encouraged and filled with hope. Would that have been a reasonable way for the city to respond? All the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to teach them the ways of God. Sir, we've never seen anything like this. Obviously, you possess an authority, a power, a presence that is out of this world. No one but God could have accomplished this feat, and we would be fools 
not to ask you and to stay with us and teach us the ways of God that our lives would come under its power and we would flourish according to God's ways. Would that have been a reasonable way to respond? All the city came out to see Jesus and they begged him to have mercy on their sins. Sir, we understand that the pigs rushing down that steep bank, that is a picture of judgment. And we understand that we live in a moral universe and there is a judgment day coming one day. And we are fearful what might be judged of us and our sins, our errors, our flaws, the ways we have not comported our lives with the law of God. Teach us to flee to you for forgiveness. You obviously saw fit to set free these men from torment, deliver us from the torment of a guilty conscience and the fear of being judged. Only you could cleanse our hearts. Only you could remove our sins. Would that have been a reasonable way to respond? All the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to stay and rule our city. If you have the kind of authority that commands demons, you certainly have authority over every human heart. You could use it to help people, <laughs> to set them free, a force for good in our society. Unlike so many rulers who oppress us, who abuse their power, who wield authority for selfish gain, would that have been a reasonable response? And the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they begged him to come to our homes and heal others. You obviously have a compassion that is broken for people who are tormented, destitute, who need healing. Come to our homes. Put your touch. Speak your word of authority over those who are sick and, and broken that we know and love. Please come and heal those that we love. Would that have been a reasonable way to respond? All the city came out to see Jesus, and when they met him, they begged him to show us more of your glory. It appears to us, sir, you are willing to display that glory for any who desire to experience it, and we humbly ask you, by your grace, show us more of this glory that our lives may deli be delivered from counterfeit glories, the things we're tempted to find significance in, like wealth, appearance, being right, competent, in control. Oh, by your glory, we can be delivered from living for inferior glory. Would that have been a reasonable response? The whole city came out to see Jesus. And when they met him, they begged him to teach us principles of stewardship now that the pigs are gone. Could it be that there's something flawed in the way we think about economics? Send us to Ken Elzinger's class and then teach us principles of faithful stewardship. Could it be we are sacrificing generosity on the altar of greed? Would that have been a reasonable response? All the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to explain to us why these men were so tormented. They want to harm others. They want to harm themselves. We've always wondered how do human beings become demonized? How far back in their lives does that go? 
instruct us on matters of spiritual warfare so that we ourselves are not taken captive by the devices of the evil one. And please help us protect our children from dark influences. Is there something we need to know about cultural gateways into which spiritual forces of wickedness find their ways into the lives of our children? Would that have been a reasonable response? All the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to tell us why you sent the demons into pigs versus the rocks, fish, or the clouds. Is, is this tangible evidence that, that these men truly have been set free? I don't know why. But would that have been a reasonable query on their part? All the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, last one. They begged him to interpret the meaning of the man sitting clothed and in his right mind. Teacher, what does it mean that these once deranged maniacs are completely in their right mind? How would we know if our thinking actually comported with reality? Would that have been a fair question to ask? What, in fact, did they beg Jesus to do? Now you can look in your Bible. They begged him to leave the region. I find that a most unreasonable request. When truth and love and beauty and healing and glory walks into your neighborhood and everything he touches, the quality of the life improves and you beg it to leave? What in the world is going on? Leave the region, meaning get out of here as far as you can. That's the first question. What are some possible ways the townspeople could have responded? I think those are 11 reasonable ways, don't you think? All right, so second question, how did they respond? Get out as far as you can. So let me, let me propose several possibilities for this response. One is they are fearful Jesus will put the mental health professionals out of business. <laughs> I don't think that's the case because not all mental health is due to demonic oppression. Some is, but not all. Second possibility. They think Jesus may torment them. And look, if, if a power walked into your home, your neighborhood, your workplace, and you believed it could torment you, you would beg it to get out of the region. But who are the only tormented people in the story? It's, it's the men who were demon-possessed, and now they're sitting there in their right minds. Jesus has come to set them free. So it doesn't look like Jesus is a threat to torment them. Here's the third possibility, as far as I can tell. They are begging Jesus to get out of the reason because they perceive that Jesus poses some sort of threat to their well-being. The loss of the pigs does, in fact, create a disadvantage to their livelihood. And the thinking seems to be, before you cause us more harm, before you cause another financial 9-11, what are you going to do? Pollute our wells? Poison our crops? Get out! They perceive Jesus is a threat 
to their financial way of life. Third question, what's at the root of their thinking? We get help from Luke's account. Luke 8 also has this, it's a lot longer, that's why I chose not to read the Luke account, but we get wonderful details in it. Here's one detail, Luke 8, 37. It says, they asked him to depart from them because they were seized with great fear. Now, who else in the story is fearful? The demons. Have you come to torment us before the time? The demons are terrified of Jesus. They know who he is, the Son of God. They know their fate that one day Jesus will command all of them into the lake of fire. They are terrified. Jesus alone has power to torment the tormentors. But it looks like the town people are in, in, in the spirit of a grip of demonic fear themselves, the fear of being disadvantaged. They define freedom in terms of getting God off our hands. Jesus defines freedom as liberation from demonic oppression. Who wouldn't want that? Isn't it sad? When fear, which is a very debilitating emotion, when fear eclipses the truth. And what's the truth underlying this, beloved? It's that when Jesus asks you to give up something, he asks you to forsake your lust, your pride, your overambition, your sloth, your thinking that you're better than other people. When Jesus asks you to give up something, it isn't to torment you. It's because he loves you. He only asks you to give up what is bad for your soul. And he possesses power to replace it with something better. They should have said, okay, now that the pigs are gone, what sort of economy is going to bless this land? Do you see for the town... Life is money, life is security, life is materialism. And so they feared this economic calamity, all the pigs rushing into the sea. So beloved, what's the question God is asking you out of this story? How do you define true riches? Everything you do this week will ultimately be a pursuit of how your heart aspires to find true riches. And perhaps we find the answer by identifying the richest people in the story. Who are they? The men set free from demons. What's the evidence of that? It says they're clothed and in their right minds. So, beloved... Nothing could be better than liberation from the tomb of isolation, death, torment, fear, and demonic oppression. <laughs> Do you believe that? Would you rather have riches as your culture defines it or right-mindedness as Jesus defines it? Really, think about that. So there's this vivid contrast in the narrative. The men have moved from being fierce maniacs to peacefully enjoying emotional and mental health. And it forces you to ask what question? How do I know I'm in my right mind? Look, the whole town 
was poisoned by wrong-mindedness. The whole town asked Jesus to get out. So don't take your cues about right-mindedness from your culture. You never determine what's true by counting noses. You never determine what's true and good by looking at what everyone else is doing. How do you know you're in your right mind? The, the, the text suggests one way among many to discern that, and that is this. What do you make of the exercise of Jesus' power? One way to determine you are living with right-mindedness, what do you make of the exercise of Jesus' power? Here's one place I get it from the story. If you just back up one paragraph in Matthew 8, we read of Jesus and the disciples coming across to the land of Gadarenes in a boat on the Sea of Galilee. And here's what we read beginning at Matthew 8, 22. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake and they were filling with water and were in danger. And they went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was calm. And he said to them, where is your faith? And they were afraid and they marveled saying to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? See, as the disciples experienced Jesus' otherworldly authority, unlike the Gadarenes, they asked the right question. Who is this that can calm the sea and the waves? That kind of question tends to put you in your right mind. The Gadarenes should have come out and as a city said, who is this that can deliver these men from demonic oppression? Instead, they beg him to leave the, the, to leave the region. Beloved, think about it. For whose good did Jesus calm the storm? The disciples. They're terrified. He loves them. For whose good did Jesus cast the demons out of the men? For their good. He cared about their welfare. If he doesn't do something, the demons overwhelm their lives, destroy their lives, and wreck havoc in the lives of everyone around them. So, beloved, has Jesus come to torment you? Far from it. Jesus Christ came to earth using his power and authority to torment no one, but to be tormented for your sins. Jesus Christ willingly submitted himself to his Father's judgment. These pigs rushing down the bank into the sea, it is a picture of judgment. And Jesus Christ, in outrageous mercy, chose to be swallowed up, body and soul, under the wrath of God for your sins on the cross. He became the tormented one for you out of love and grace, and mercy. Oh, the cross, it was torment. But it was to deliver you into a life of everlasting peace, glory, and love. Beloved, what sort of man uses all his power to die for his enemies? 
and in so, do, so doing destroys what threatens you, sin, the devil, death. What sort of man ever promised to set you free from the stranglehold of Satan, sin, and death? Jesus is only dangerous to self-sufficient people. Jesus is only dangerous to the proud and the self-righteous and the self-sufficient. But for the desperate, he breaks the chains of guilt, sin, darkness. Last question. What will happen when you really trust in the liberating power of Jesus? Again, from Luke's account, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged that he might be with Jesus. So you see the progression. Jesus shows up. The demons are begging not to be tormented. The demons are begging to be thrown into the pigs. The townspeople come out and beg Jesus to leave the region. The healed man is begging Jesus that he might be with him. Don't stay. Don't leave me. Work your power in my life. I want to see you. I want to know you. I want to listen to you. I want to watch you work. I want to study your impact on other people. I want to rest in your love. I could never cease praising your majesty. I want to be a partner in this glorious kingdom of yours. Jesus, you are life. You are liberty. You are salvation. Your joy, your hope, your peace, your right-mindedness. That's true riches. Please don't leave here without the riches of knowing Jesus, of trusting Jesus, of having your entire life come under its power. As I close, note this one detail again from Luke's account that when your life has come under the power of Jesus, Luke 8, 39, it says, he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. When there is a revolution started in your heart and Jesus Christ has set you free from the torment of guilt, the fear of judgment, he eliminates any question, will God accept me because the acceptance you have before God is all in and through Jesus. His righteous life, his sacrificial death, his resurrection then you want to tell others. Did he have a story to tell? Well, maybe we'll meet him in heaven and find out. Beloved, share your story of the liberating, gracious power of Jesus as God gives you opportunity. And let's have this space filled to overflowing with people longing to be in their right minds, thinking God's thoughts after them, thinking on the gospel of grace, utterly infatuated with the beauty of Jesus. Let's pray. Only you, Lord Jesus, can put us in our right minds and clothe us in your beautiful righteousness. Thank you for the hope of your gospel. Thank you for liberating the tormented. 
Oh, have mercy on us. Come to our hearts. Cast out the darkness, the sin, the unbelief, the fears, and replace them with the spirit of holiness, the spirit of grace, the spirit of hope, the spirit of peace, the spirit of comfort, the spirit of encouragement, the spirit of power. In Jesus' name, amen.